Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. We are in week three of asking for a friend. The common phrase that a lot of times we give to people when really we're just asking questions for ourselves that maybe we don't want to know other people, uh, that we, we don't want other people to know that we're asking. And sometimes when life and faith intersect together, questions arise. Questions arise in our minds, in our hearts, um, and sometimes we think that those questions are in the way, but they're actually not. Questions that are handled properly, we want to say questions and doubts as we're about to recap, handled properly are actually a springboard for growing into greater faith. In fact, if you were with us just last week, we talked about a certain disciple whose name was Thomas, and we we noticed that in his life they had misframed him as a doubter, when really he went and he took the gospel all the way east to India, tradition would have it, and we still know him as the doubter, but we saw that in scripture there were some characteristics in his life that really help us to shrink our doubt and to grow our faith. And here, here they were, just to recap them, recap them quickly, he showed authenticity, he was authentic with his questions, with his doubts, even in front of Jesus. He was seeking the truth even when nobody else was asking the questions, and he was willing to move forward in faith when the evidence required it. And that's the recipe. That's the recipe that we talked about last week, the ingredients that you could take home to really deal with your doubt, to deal with questions. And so, really, we find this illustrated in the invitation that Jesus presents to us in Matthew 22, verse 37. It's actually our theme verse for this series. I love if we could say that together to ingrain that in our hearts. So would you say that with me on three? One, two, three. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. With all your mind. Culture will often say, will often lie and say that you you can't love the Lord with your mind. And that's just not true. Sometimes it's blatant. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's subtle, but it's there. And so be be careful for that. We can love the Lord with our minds. But here's another lie that sometimes we believe in our culture, and that is, it's a, I think, an upcoming and prevailing lie in our culture that faith is a private matter. Faith is a private matter. Oftentimes when I'm in public, And somebody asks me, you know, in a new conversation with a stranger, they'll say, hey, so what do you do for a living? (laughs) And then in that moment, I I sort of anticipate some responses. When I tell them I'm a pastor, I either get one of two responses. I get like a, oh my goodness, that's awesome. They start talking about their own faith. It's like a moment to connect right there. Um, Sometimes they have questions or whatnot. Sometimes, actually more often than not, I get this really uncomfortable smile like, Okay. <laughs> so, and they moved it to a different conversation. You know, sometimes I wonder if I would get a better response if I just told them I'm a spiritual consultant. But anyways, <clears throat> I think I could work. That, that's a nice title on a business card, isn't it? 
Come on. Anyways, now think about it. Usually, we only feel uncomfortable talking about things that are private in nature, right? Things that are private in nature sometimes are uncomfortable to talk about. And that's why so many, I think, have a hard time in our culture talking about faith and spirituality or or religion because they believe that those are private matters and if they say something they might get judged for it's their prerogative right it's my prerogative it's my belief it's my decision I don't really have to discuss this with you it's a private matter now on a side note that we'll connect to this just now the church's really challenge in every generation um, since Jesus started the church right has been to be formed more into the image of Christ and not into the image of the world. That tension, that beautiful resistance that we, every single Christians, every single Christian in every single generation has had to manage, has had to discern. Here's what I think is happening today. Not just that culture would say that faith is private, but I think we as a, as a Christian community, I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about the capital C church at large, has been formed by this Basically, this ideology, right, that faith is a private matter. No questions asked. And here, I'll I'll prove it to you. More and more, you find people who believe that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. We've all heard that phrase. A personal relationship with Jesus. And not be connected, not be connected to any community of faith whatsoever. You understand what I'm getting at there? Personal faith in Jesus, personal relationship with Jesus, I don't have to be connected to any church or any sort of institution like that. More and more we find a disconnect between Christians and accountability. It's my faith walk. It's my life. Don't tell me how to live it, even though I'm trying to live under the authority of Scripture. It's my private matter. More and more, we we find that genuine discipleship and being formed into the kind of person that God would have us to be is not a top priority. I think that we can say that in in, in modern Christian culture today. Here's what I think is happening both in and outside the church um, that some have come to believe that faith is between me and God alone. Faith is between me and God alone alone. I think some people have, have come to believe that at large. It's my personal relationship with Jesus. I've said that phrase. You've said that phrase. But, and while it's true in many, many ways, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. That's true. I think that there's been some misinterpretation of that that we want to correct this morning. So for, for just a moment, let's flip that original phrase on its head. Is my faith just between me and God? Is it? Is it just between me and God? To answer that question, we're going to read Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. We're going to read from verses 16 to the final verse in the book of Matthew, verse 20. It's going to be on the screen. It's on the app. You can follow along in your Bible as well. Here's what Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you catch that? Some even doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you came to us. Lord, you died for us. You gave your life for us. Lord, you rose from the grave. And here in this this story, Lord, we see you giving an encouragement, a challenge, not just to your disciples 2,000 years ago, but to us today. Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, would you open our hearts in this moment? And for those of us who are battling with questions, with doubts, Lord, would we just lay them at your feet this morning? Or would you speak to us and help us to move one step closer to you in faith? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we just read a passage called the Great Commission. And frankly, I I find it to be one of the most powerful uh, encouragements that Jesus gives in Scripture. He's commissioning his disciples off to do ministry. Um, This is also a post-resurrection story. So Jesus already died. He rose from the grave. He's going to ascend into heaven and he's leaving his disciples with the Holy Spirit who his presence, remaining presence in their hearts to empower them for the work of ministry that he has for them. The work of ministry, frankly, that has uh, bore fruit 2,000 years later. And that's why you and I are actually sitting in these pews today because they took this seriously. And so here's why I think it's such a powerful text, which will guide us really towards our, our topic, towards the question that we're trying to answer today. He, Jesus, encouraged his disciples and challenged them, not just them, but to us as well, to first, in this great commission, to make disciples, right? Not build a crowd, not gain lots of followers on social media, not become famous, but to make disciples. Make people that look, breathe, act like me, like Jesus. Make disciples. And number two, baptize them, he said. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of us who grew up maybe in a religious context, maybe whether it was Catholic or whether it was Protestant, you grew up with the idea of baptism being commonplace. It's something that you grew up in your mind. But now I want you, if that's you this morning, I want you to take a step back from that. I want you to try to identify with those for whom baptism might be a fairly new concept. Ever wonder why Jesus wanted us to baptize people? (laughs) To be dunked in water publicly in front of everybody? To get soaked? To get wet and create these semi-awkward weird moments where people share testimonies in front of hundreds, sometimes even thousands of people? Or even when parents come and they make covenants with the church and with God to raise their child in the Lord? And then we pour water on that baby too. Ever, ever wonder why Jesus wants us to baptize and to be baptized? 
across the entire New Testament, really in the book of Acts, which is the, really the, the origins of the early church, you see that fresh commitment with the name of Jesus. People who just committed their life to Jesus, what's the first thing they do? They get baptized. And the early church following that generation of the of the, the, well, the early church following the generations of the apostles, which is written there in the book of Acts, you see that happening over and over again. People giving their lives to Jesus and boom, getting dunked, getting baptized. If you didn't know better, you would think that Christians just like getting people wet. We just like being in the water <laughs> or being wet in our clothes. I absolutely hate that actually, being wet in our clothes. I always have to take a, like a change of clothes when I go to any amusement park. I just hate it. It reminds me of when I did my first baptism here in uh, this church, actually, if you would remember, that was a little boy by the name of William Lamar. A cute, beautiful little boy. He was about 10, 11 years old. And we were planning to do his baptism, the first thing in the service, because I don't want to be wet while I'm up here, so I was going to have to go change. That gives me ample time during the, the worship. Well, in, in, in good fashion, they were late to the service. <laughs> you know, so, hey, I'm, I'm Cuban, so I could understand, you know, <laughs> I could understand. Anyways, yeah, I see that. <laughs> you know, so I come up here and I tell the worship team, I told Karen, actually, I was like, hey, just start the song. Stop after the first song. I think they're going to be here somewhere in that time frame. And I was right. They got here about, you know, when they were almost done with the first song. And I see this little guy walk out in a full suit, full white suit. And I said, oh my gosh, we have like 30 seconds to get on this stage. And this kid's in a suit. (laughs) And so I'm like, William, run and just get changed. We'll dunk you in your underwear if we have to. And and he's like, "I'm, I'm going in just like this. I was like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it, full suit and all. I said, man, you look like you're baptizing me today. I'm here in a t-shirt and sandals. <laughs> Anyways, next time I'm going to come in a full suit. <laughs> I promised you so I wouldn't say the joke about my legs and the shorts again. And so I'm moving on. Anyways, for those of you that are interested, those, those of you that are interested, let me tell you a little bit about what we believe about baptism. It's one of our sacramental rites. That's a big phrase we're going to define in just a second. We have two of those, communion and baptism. Communion and baptism. Largely speaking, a sacrament is something that Jesus did that he's asking us to observe. Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, um, and he took communion on the Passover, um, documented here in the Gospels, with his disciples. And really, the phrase that we often say at Community of Hope is that a, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, right? The, the taking communion or being baptized doesn't save you in and of itself. Some people think that, like they're going to get right with God by getting dunked in water or by eating a piece of bread. That's actually not the right motivation, nor does it accomplish what you think it does, That's actually not the purpose. But the sacraments, when practiced in the right spirit, they become extremely powerful places where God shows up and meets us as believers, practicing these acts in faith in a unique and special 
powerful way. I love to use the marriage and the ring metaphor to really describe what happens in that moment. Think about this. When a man and a, and a woman commit to each other in Christian marriage, there's a moment in the marriage ceremony when they were individuals, they were singles, and then they became one flesh. As the scripture says, and really we would identify maybe after they take the vows, there's a moment there we can't identify, they're married. The placing of the ring, right, happens after the vow is made because the ring is the outward symbol of those vows that we place to display publicly. Now, even though the ring is symbolic, it's not just a symbol. And you know how I know that? Try telling your spouse, for those of you who are married, that you don't want to wear your ring in public anymore. (laughs) It's a symbol. It's not just a symbol, right? Actually, um, I I love to play with my ring on occasion. It's it's sort of like an anxiety reliever sometimes, you know, just something that you do subconsciously, and oftentimes it'll fall, and Giselle, every time, it always happens in front of her. You know, I'm always playing with it. Anytime during it never falls. Always in front of her it falls. And she always says, well, there goes our marriage. You know. <laughs> it's a symbol. It's not just a symbol. You know. Even though I can take it off, I'm still married, right? But there's a reality of that marriage that I live by virtue of just wearing the ring in public. Right? It's, it's almost the way that I live out my marriage publicly, even when my spouse is not there, is by wearing my ring. It's a public declaration. And in many ways, it's similar to what we believe Scripture teaches about the sacraments, and in particular for our conversation today, similar to what we might believe about baptism. In the same way that there's something deeply intimate and spiritual even occurring, you know, as two individuals place those, those rings um, to live in the reality of that marriage, when you choose to be baptized, and you're baptized in that moment after professing faith in Jesus, there's something profoundly intimate and spiritual happening to the faith and the soul of that believer committing to that act. The act of baptism might be that that outward symbol of the salvation of what Jesus has done in your life, but there's something deeply formative about committing yourself to the act of baptism, life-changing even when you are publicly declaring your allegiance to Jesus in front of a congregation of people. It's a powerful, grace-filled, public declaration of your allegiance to the name of Jesus. Super powerful moment, and God works in our own faith as we take that step of baptism. But more than just deep theology that we want you to leave and, frankly, know about our own beliefs on baptism, I think that this truth points at something, some characteristics or some themes really, that help us answer our original question, which was, is faith just between me and God alone? Here's the first thing I think that baptism points to. I think it shows us that while my faith is personal, it's not private. You catch the distinction there? Faith is personal, it's not private. Jesus calls us to make a literally a public declaration of our faith in a community of believers. You can't do that unless you are you can't do that unless you are actually 
in a community of believers. If you're disconnected from a church, you can't really get baptized in the way that, I mean, maybe you could pour water on yourself. That's actually not the vision for baptism that Jesus and his disciples here leave with us in the New Testament. You know, it's, it's with that public declaration of allegiance to the name of Jesus that you're committing to walk alongside other believers here. It's not a private thing. It's actually the opposite of a private thing. Baptism shows that our faith is inherently actually communal. It's relational. Somewhat along the way, we've mistaken the idea that a personal relationship with Jesus means that it's somehow meant to be just between you and God alone. It's not. It's there's that God actually works in and through the body of believers to shape us, to form us, and baptism is the first step in that. Now, some of us, even here, now as I'm talking about baptism, and maybe you've never taken that step of baptism, you, you sort of, you, you, you think about everything that I'm saying, and it, it seems like a really big step, doesn't it? And it almost seems pretty daunting, like, oh my gosh, I have to be ready to be baptized if I'm making this huge public declaration of allegiance to the name of Jesus. Sometimes we feel like maybe we have to do some spring cleaning in our lives before we, we come and we get baptized. It almost reminds me of the conversations that Giselle and I had about um, even deciding to have kids. I mean, if you look online and you go, you know, what do I need in, you know, to have my first child, you know, all the things that you might need. I mean, you get so many things on Google. And you get things that you don't need too because companies just want you to buy stuff upon stuff, right? It, it seems so overwhelming and daunting. But what, is, what does every parent in the room always tell you? You are never ready to have kids. You're just not. And that's actually slightly not true. If you already are comfortable not sleeping through the night, then you're ready to have kids. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> you know, in a very real sense, you're never like in and of yourself ready to be baptized. You know who makes you ready? Jesus does. That's why baptism is the next step after you profess the name of Jesus because when you come to Jesus, brokenness and all, it is he who cleans. It is he who restores. It is he who redeems He's the one who makes you ready for baptism. And so if you've committed your life to Jesus, but you've never taken the step of baptism, here's what I would want you to leave here with this morning. Get baptized. (laughs) Get dunked. We're actually going to have an opportunity for you to do that on June 5th. We have a beach baptism day. We don't have many of those in the year. We've decided to have one on June 5th. Um, It's going to be a special, momentous occasion. Don't miss out on that if you haven't been baptized. Even if you have some questions, come talk to me. Inquire. Would love to have a conversation with you. And if you have already been baptized, please don't feel like you have to sign up to get baptized in order to come. We're not re-baptizing people just so you could come and be part of this picnic. So you could come and support everybody even if you've already been baptized, we want the whole church to participate. Come out to Carlin Park on June 5th at 4 o'clock. But for those of us who have already taken that public step of baptism, here's what I would like you to, to leave this morning with. I'd like you to recommit to living your faith in a compelling and winsome way. I want you to remember your baptism. Live out your faith in such a way that people know who you belong to. That they know that you belong to to Jesus. It was in that moment of your baptism 
that you died to your old self, that's what the waters represent, and now you are alive in Christ. Your old way of life is no longer, you're raised in newness of life, your past is forgiven, you're changed, you're restored, and you're free to live in the future that God is planning and his purposes for your life. You know, and even, even when we fail and we falter, God's still at work within us. A lot of times, you know, I've had the question, you know, do I have to be rebaptized if I've, I've had a tangent in my spiritual life where I've walked away from the Lord? I would say, no. Your baptism is once and for all. Here's what God does. It reminds me of, of this famous sculpture, actually by Michelangelo in 1498. It's called the Pieta. It's, it's the, um, the anguish Mary holding Jesus, the crucified Jesus, a depiction of that, of that scene when Jesus dies and Mary's there. And here's what happened, you know, years ago, there were some, really some crazy people that got a sledgehammer, they went to the sculpture and really destroyed uh, parts of it. But some very talented sculptors actually were able to reconstruct the sculpture, despite what had been broken. And it looks flawless today. And I'll take that image of a sculpture that's been broken and been restored. It's our lives that we have a very talented sculptor who is sculpting our souls, who's sculpting us more and more into the image of Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance. Handiwork is just a fancy word for a masterpiece. We're his masterpiece that he's crafting. We're his masterpiece that he's putting together for his purposes and his plans. And all you have to do is say yes to that and walk in relationship with him. And so the reason that it's important that we recognize that our faith is not private but public is because God wants those of us who have committed our faith to him. He wants us to show people who he was. That he has the power to redeem their lives. I'd like to just leave you with this scripture in Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus, I think, really beautifully summarizes this entire concept. He says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and they give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let them see. Not in a boastful way, that's not what Jesus is talking about. But let them see who you belong to. Live your life in the name of Jesus. And when the opportunities arise, you can share that with people. And so as the band plays this, this final song, I'm gonna, the altar is, is going to be open. If you haven't been baptized, would you come? Would you pray about that decision? Would you maybe contemplate and think about taking that next step? And if you have, would you come and recommit your life to your faith to living it in a, a compelling and winsome way? And would you just remember, even take a moment to remember that moment that you were baptized, how many years it was before. And would you recommit your faith walk as if it happened today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord, for the the promise that we see, that we behold in baptism. Lord, we're... We can enter newness of life and leave the past behind. Lord, and we just offer that to you. We offer our brokenness. Would you restore it? 
We offer our questions and our doubts. Would you answer them? Would you meet us there in that moment? Lord, and for those of us contemplating a step forward in faith, Lord, would you speak to us in this moment? Would you guide us? Would you show us that we actually don't have to clean up to come to you? Lord, you are calling us to yourself just the way we are. You're the one that restores. You're the one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, as your word says. We thank you. We praise you. We lift your name up in this final song in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand? And the altar is open for anybody who might need. Hey, I pray that you would, you would feel the Lord's presence in your life. Even if it feels, he feels distant at the moment, he's not. Remember your baptism. Remember the commitment that you made. And if you haven't yet, and you've committed your life to Jesus, take that next step. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'll be in the back after service. We also have a prayer ministry that's ready, standing by. If you want to pray, or you want to talk to somebody, they are there, my back left, your back right. This moment, would you just remain in a posture of prayer? Just receive this blessing that Paul gave to the church at Rome. He said this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Church, go with God. We'll see you next week. God bless.